Hi, everybody. This is Gary Sandy, and thank you very much for listening to the WKRP cast. So just sit right down, relax, open your ears real wide, and say... Weather today in the greater Cincinnati area. Are you awake? Whoa! Are you awake now? But the senator, while insisting he was not intoxicated, could not explain his nudity. Say what? Dear God, she's going to kill us all. Welcome to the WKRP cast. My name is Donna Stair. And I'm her husband, Alan. This is a week-by-week, episode-by-episode rewatch. We're getting into the music, the trivia, and the fun of WKRP. So, fellow babies, don't touch that dial. It's time for the WKRP cast. I'm at WKRP in Cincinnati. Welcome back to another WKRP cast, getting a little bit risque today. Donna, what is our episode? We are talking about Filthy Pictures, Part 1. It aired the 3rd of March, 1980. Story, Hugh Wilson. Teleplay, Steve Marshall and Dan Gunselman. Story editors, Dan Gunselman, Steve Marshall, Stephen Campman, and P.J. Tarakvi. Executive story consultant, Blake Hunter. It was directed by Rod Daniel. Andy and Jennifer agree to do a photo shoot for charity. While dressing after the session is done, the photographer takes nude photos of Jennifer without her knowledge. He plans to sell them to a girly magazine. When this episode originally aired, it ran as a full hour from 8 until 9 p.m. Eastern. This is one of only two hour-long episodes that were produced over the four-season run of the show. The other was in Season 3, the episode titled Dr. Fever and Mr. Tide. Later, for syndication, both of the hour-long episodes would get cut into two parts. That's why some episode lists show WKRP as having 88 episodes, while others put the total at 90. Filthy Pictures will finish the week at number 26. Well, that's not a great showing, especially for an hour-long episode with a TV guide print blitz featuring Lonnie Anderson in a swimsuit. On NBC, this episode was going up against a rerun of Little House, so no big competition there. But over on ABC, it was facing a much greater challenge. Monday, March 3rd, 1980, was the premiere of That's Incredible, hosted by John Davidson. Kathy Lee Crosby, and former NFL quarterback Fran Tarkington. That's Incredible was a mid-season replacement with a lot of buzz. It was a magazine-style show focusing on the odd and amazing. Everything from knife-throwing to laser surgery might be the subject of the various segments. That's Incredible becomes dominant in this time slot with top 10 finishes for the rest of the spring. It will batter WKRP for the rest of this season and go on to have a strong five-season run. Let's get into this episode. We start out in Carlson's office. The entire staff of WKRP is in Mr. Carlson's office. Well, the entire staff that we're allowed to meet. There are other True. people working at WKRP we never get to see. <laughs> but but the core eight, they're in, they're in Carlson's office. They have been summoned there by Mr. Carlson. All are seated along the wall, except for Herb, who is standing behind Mr. Carlson's chair. And not an alert. We're going Herb Tarlick fashion warning this time. It's not a full alert. Herb is wearing a tan sports coat with red and blue horizontal lines, creating a plaid pattern with solid blue pocket flaps, a red and white striped dress shirt with a maroon tie in the Tarlick knot, and blue pants that match the blue lines in his coat, and, of course, his signature white shoes. Mr. Carlson asks if everyone is present. Andy says he thinks so. Johnny asks to hurry this up because he's on the air. (laughs) (laughs) He's on the air in Mr. Carlson's office. With no monitor on, (laughs) nothing to tell. (laughs) If he's letting a song play, he's not keeping track of it. Carlson and Herb count the people to see if they are all there. I count seven. Me too. Carlson asks, 
Who's missing? You didn't count yourself. <laughs> Ever the brown noser, Herb responds. Sure he did. Think you're dealing with a fool? Carlson tells Herb to shut up. Yeah, Herb didn't count himself either. No, no. He got seven, too. <laughs> so Carlson tells everyone he's called the man to ask for a personal favor. Now, as you know, I belong to the local Kiwanis Club. Well, that's all it took for Johnny to jump up off the couch and head out the office just to hear it was the Kiwanis Club. <laughs> Granted, that is an all-men's organization. And that sends Bailey out of the office. Well, we didn't have and well, still don't a large minority membership. And of course Venus is up and walks out on that one. Now, let's take a look at Venus's vibin' threads. Venus is wearing a burnt orange jacket with lighter orange sleeves over a peach-colored shirt, another shade of orange pants, a narrow orange scarf knotted at the ends is under his shirt collar. He has black socks and off-white shoes. We're down to four staff left. Herb walks over and he sits on the couch. Look, I would just like to say right here at the outset uh, that if any of you people are in here just because I'm the boss, then I I think you should leave. I just personally like that. (laughs) Herb walks out. Carlson starts to talk again, and Les jumps up and runs out of the office after Herb. So we have Andy and Jennifer left. Carlson rolls his chair closer to them, and he continues. This year, I have been made the chairman of the charity uh, fashion show in Bazaar. Travis tries to make an escape, but Carlson says his name, and he says it with some authority. Travis sits back down. And the theme this year is Surf City, USA. In Cincinnati, Ohio. And I had to know, I looked it up, Cincinnati is about 640 miles from the nearest ocean. I measured it over to Atlantic City. (laughs) About 640 miles for Surf City, USA. Close enough. Art tells Jennifer and Andy he was wanting to ask everyone to participate in the fashion show as a model. Everybody but Herb, of course. (laughs) I don't know why Herb gets singled out. Jennifer is only too happy to participate, and it seems like she's done it in past years. They both look over at Andy. A model? (laughs) It's for a good cause. Oh, I don't know, man. What's that? I said, I've never been a model before. Well, he goes off shucks real fast, doesn't he? Mm-hmm. Never been a model. Jennifer assures him he'd like it. She asks Andy to do it for Mr. Carlson. Art says he'd sure appreciate it. Okay, jeez. <laughs> shucks, oh, jeez. Carlson then asks Jennifer if she would appear on the advertising poster. Of course, that would necessitate your posing uh, in a bathing suit. Travis looks at Jennifer, who suddenly looks uncomfortable. She starts to protest. Why not? You'd like it. She tells him she needs to think about it. What's to think? Come on, do it for Mr. Carlson. <laughs> it would just be you, Jennifer, and, and Andy, standing there in your bathing suits. Of, wait. <laughs> turning it back on her. Jennifer looks at Andy giving him a great big smile. I'll do it. Okay, we know the swimsuits are involved. Maybe that's why Carlson did not want Herb to participate. He's kind of a furry guy. And then I also wonder if maybe Herb is just not somebody you want around the other models. If you've got other models there, you just don't want Herb working the crowd, so maybe they're keeping him away from them. So Art says he's a member of the Kiwanis Club. Well, back in Goodbye Johnny, we had Art reminiscing. Do you know that this is the very room in which the Rotarians presented me with the Rotarian of the Week Award. (laughs) I'll never forget that luncheon as long as I live. So we were thinking at that time he might be a Rotarian, but he was pretty drunk that night. (laughs) It's rare for one person to be in both clubs, but Rotary will sometimes recognize business leaders who aren't members. So we're guessing that maybe that's how Art got his Rotary Award, even though he is a Kiwanian. And even though they're not members, they can still get the Rotarian of the Month. I don't, yeah, I I don't know. I don't know either. It it, it may have just been a throwaway line that they didn't remember later when they made Art a Kiwanian. Well, the first Kiwanis Club was founded in Detroit, In 1915, the Detroit club had a rocky start. Some members left for Cleveland, Ohio. To Cleveland and freedom. Where a second Kiwanis club was formed in 1916. The Cleveland club dictated much of the early organization of Kiwanis. It's not surprising Art is a Kiwanian. 
Kiwanis has a strong presence in Ohio to this day because of their Cleveland connection. Kiwanis did not allow women into their membership until 1987. Wow. Yeah, it should be noted that Rotary also did not allow women into club membership (laughs) until 1987 because both organizations were forced into it. A May 1987 Supreme Court ruling said women may not be excluded from club membership based on gender. To this day, both Kiwanis and Rotary struggle with increasing their minority membership in the United States. Both clubs have a reputation in the U.S. for having a membership that is older and conservative, which usually translates to white. Oh, and the name Kiwanis? It was taken from an American Indian phrase. The most accurate translation is something along the lines of, we have a good time, we make noise. (laughs) (laughs) I want to join that. Yeah. (laughs) And those noisy Kiwanians are taking us into our theme. WKRP in Cincinnati. We come back to the studio. And we have a poster watch. Yay! (laughs) Bonnie Raitt is on the door of the studio with a promo poster for her seventh studio album called The Glow. This one went to number 30 on the album charts. The only single was a cover of You're Gonna Get What's Coming. It's a tune written by Moon Martin, but Robert Palmer had released it the previous year on his Double Fun album. We can also see a Fleetwood Mac poster to the right of the door. It's promoting their 12th studio album, Tusk, the follow-up to their mega-hit, Rumors. Lindsey Buckingham, always the rebel, was determined to create the anti-rumors with this album. The double-length Tusk was released in September of 1979. Production costs topped a million dollars. Yeah, making it the most expensive album produced to that time. It was hailed as weird and experimental. (laughs) And boy, is it. They said it even sounded like three different solo artists on one album. No one knew what to make of it. Reviewers called it self-indulgent and terrifically strange. The album would peak at number four on the U.S. album chart. It yielded two top ten hits. We got the Stevie Nicks penned Sarah and the very weird title track by Buckingham. Tusk, the single, would hit number eight on the U.S. Hot 100. Tusk, the album, spent nine months on the album charts and sold more than four million copies. But compared to the 10 million selling rumors, Fleetwood Mac's record company deemed Tusk a commercial failure. Now, I don't know if I've heard the entire album, but I do like the song Tusk. But it is weird. It's Uh very weird. I like to crank it when I'm cleaning the house. The banner across the top of the door that says Little Feet in script over pink is a graphic taken from the cover of their 1979 album, Down on the Farm. This was the last album from the band's original lineup. Lowell George, founder and frontman of Little Feet, had died of a heart attack in June of 79 while working on this album. The band finished the album and announced they would be disbanding. They would reform under the same name in 1987. Down on the Farm will hit number 29 on the U.S. Billboard album chart. Interesting side note that ties the posters on the door together. One of the backing singers on Down on the Farm was Bonnie Raitt. I think that's kind of (laughs) cool. And sitting in front of Johnny on the counter, we very clearly see the cover to jazz guitarist Earl Clue's fourth studio album, Magic in Your Eyes. 
It was released in 1978. You might remember we heard Venus playing the clue tune Heartstring in the Americanization of Ivan earlier this season. Back to the studio, Johnny introduces Runaway by Bonnie Raitt, recorded live at Madison Square Garden in New York. 57 degrees at 935. Here's one recorded live at Madison Square Garden in New York City. The big no-nuke rally. Runaway with Bonnie Raitt. I'd like to... It's coming from the 1979 Muse Concert Album. Muse stood for Musicians United for Safe Energy. Rate was one of the organizers of the concert, which was primarily protesting nuclear energy. A film of the concert would be released in May of 1980. Les enters the studio. Now, we saw a glimpse of Les's bandage when he left Art's office in the first scene, but... This is a much longer, better look. So, and now a special look at this episode's bandage placement for the five-time Buckeye NewsHawk Award winner, Les Nessman. This is the Les Nessman Bandage Report. Now, here's Donna Stair with her report about Les Nessman. Lower part of left hand. This has been a look at the bandage placement for Silver Sow and Copper Cob award-winning journalist, Les Nessman. Les comes in with both guns blazing. Beaver, relinquish the board. What? There's been a startling development in the news. Johnny covers up the controls on the board with one hand and the controls on the turntable <laughs> with the other. He's like trying to protect everything. What a shift in the wind direction. <laughs> Les tells Johnny he's a trained professional and to trust him. Johnny says, okay, and backs away from the board. Les takes the mic and he begins speaking. This is Les Nesman with a special news book. Why is the music still on? <laughs> Johnny points to the control knobs and Les adjusts one of them causing the volume in the studio to become louder. Flustered, Les turns the knob the other direction. Boy, what a lousy board. <laughs> yeah, it's never the operator. It's always the board. <laughs> Johnny mouths to Les that the mic is still on. Les regains his composure and leans closer to the mic. Today, the Queen City stretched wide its welcoming arms to the Ohio Hog Farmers Association <laughs> on the occasion of their annual park festival. This reporter has learned from a reliable source close to the hog persons that yours truly, Les Nesman, has been named featured speaker at the closing night Swine Soiree and Dinner Dance. Congratulations, Les. So as Les is reading his announcement, Johnny casually takes a lighter out and holds the flame to the paper from which... <laughs> so as Les is reading, Johnny very casually takes a lighter out and holds the flame to the paper from which Les is reading. <laughs> this, this is such a funny bit. That kills me. <laughs> I I, love it's it. so unexpected and so funny. Les's copy begins to burn and quickly. Les just keeps reading. <laughs> he's reading as the page is being consumed, and he's trying to blow out the flame between phrases. Finally, he slams the burning paper onto the desk, and he covers it up with a pad of paper. Through a haze of smoke, he finishes the story. Tickets on sale. Selected agencies everywhere. Les points to Johnny, who turns the volume of the music back up and doesn't say anything about, hey, what are you doing burning my copy? Now, we've had flame in the studio very often because venus has its candles yeah but not but that's a burning. controlled flame this is burning <laughs> i think that was a pretty gutsy scene you know yeah. that that paper could have just gone whoosh i just think about doing that in a studio with 500 people sitting there the fire marshal had to be having a coronary we moved to the bullpen and mr carlson is sitting at herb's desk while Herb reassures him about the photographer he found. He is the best photographer in Cincinnati for the money. Yeah, that for the money bugs me. Yeah. Putting Herb in charge of finding a photographer. Yeah, not a good idea. Andy and Les enter the bullpen, and the room explodes with cat calls and whistles. <laughs> Well, Les is clueless. Andy, what is happening here? Andy has his back to the room, staring at the wall with the gold record. I'm dying, Les. 
He is so mortified. Oh. Andy is just every inch of his body. You can tell he, he wants is to crawl under a rock. Yes, and he is hide. so embarrassed. Art tells Andy, "Don't let the others bring you down." You're really helping the new children. Well, Les tells him that that's very nice, and he asks him what he's doing to help. Well, I think. Andy's expecting to get a different reaction from Les, maybe a little bit more mature, so he confesses to Les. I'm posing in a, in a bathing suit. <coughs> oh. Ooh, la 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 la. <laughs> <laughs> Andy kind of takes a threatening step towards Les. It likes he, like he wants to slug him. Well, Bailey likes the idea. I mean, how come the women are always doing the cheesecake, huh? Bailey walks up to Travis and stops inches from the side of his face. She grabs his arm and pulls him toward her. It's about time we got to see a little beefcake. <laughs> she blows a puff of air into his ear, then walks out of the door <laughs> leading to the studio hallway. And I love the way the hair kind the of... Puff, <laughs> the puff into the, all that hair is great. So the term cheesecake for scantily clad or promiscuous women can be traced in print all the way back to 1660s England. It didn't really come into common usage, though, until 1912. The story goes that fashion photographer James Kane was posing an attractive young woman when the wind blew her skirt up, exposing quite a bit of leg. Now, Kane, who was a lover of the dessert, is quoted as saying, Wow, this is better than cheesecake. And the metaphor was born. There's also the comparison between kind of the texture and the color of a woman's thigh and cheesecake, and that's in there too. Well, the male counterpart to cheesecake beefcake would not appear in print until the late 1940s. Movie cameramen had started to use the term beefcake to describe male actors with their shirts off. The press picked up on it pretty quickly. Travis is miserable. He looks at Carlson and tells him he can't do this. Art tells him to ignore the teasing. All this is going to be is a, is a picture of a young couple standing on a beach waving. Nothing more than that. Hey, come on, let's go get Jennifer. Art leads him out of the bullpen, and Les and Herb continue unmercifully <laughs> with the whistles and the catcalls. I love Herb's wiggling butt. He it is starts hilarious. getting that thing rocking under that coat, and it is hilarious. Well, I think the slit in the back of the coat <laughs> really helps it. Ooh, la, 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 la. <laughs> now we see a photographer's studio. There's a balding, middle-aged man, obviously the photographer, placing a camera on a tripod out in the middle of a room. He is singing as he works. It's your heart out, you Hefner. You know, he just has the sleazy look about him. He's so good. It's sleazy. <laughs> well, he's wearing a baby poop brown polyester suit with a lavender-colored shirt with several of the buttons undone, almost down to his navel, revealing gold chains and a very hairy chest. The shirt has a design on it with shiny gold material and an orange sunburst. He's wearing two-toned brown and white shoes. The cuffs of his shirt are unbuttoned and they're folded up over the jacket sleeves. I've not yeah. seen this look yeah, before. That is quite a look. He walks over to the two doors and he hollers. Hey, you guys ready yet? We hear Jennifer say she's just about there. The photographer disappears into another room and he closes the door. Our sleazeball photographer sang Eat Your Heart Out, Hugh Hefner. Well, born in 1928, Hugh Hefner is the Chicago native who brought dirty pictures to the mainstream. Thank you, Hugh. Thanks, Hugh. He worked, <laughs> <laughs> he worked as a copywriter at Esquire magazine, but he quit in January of 1952 after they wouldn't give him a $5 raise. So with a handful of investors and even a loan from mom, he defined the Playboy <laughs> license. Yeah, mom got in on publishing the first issue. Here you go, honey. Yeah. You can publish pictures of naked women. Yeah, that was mom getting in on <laughs> Well, she said she wasn't so much a fan of the magazine as she was a fan of her son. So oh, okay. he published the first issue of Playboy magazine in December of 1953, and we'll have more on that first issue in just a bit. The photographer is played by George Weiner. You've got to have just the right attitude to pull off a truly sleazy guy. Yeah, and George, George is the man. Oh, he nailed it. Weiner is an incredibly prolific actor with 205 performing credits on his IMDb profile, and one of those is currently filming. He got his start on television in 1971, 
playing the art director on an episode of The Odd Couple. From the mid to late 1970s, Weiner was everywhere. He was both on TV and in the movies. He had a pretty important four-episode run in 1976 for a short-lived detective series called Del Vecchio. It was important because that's where Weiner met series creator Stephen Bochco. Bochco would bring Weiner back as a regular on Hill Street Blues for one of his most memorable roles. He played ADA Erwin Bernstein on 57 episodes of the hit TV series. Weiner seemed to enjoy working with MTM Studios. He was a regular guest star on a number of MTM shows. Well, you know, we've seen lots of guest stars on WKRP, and they're usually in one, maybe two scenes. But here, Weiner is in a lot of he this episode. He really drives a lot of the story, and, and we see him a lot. And not just a 30-minute episode, in an hour-long episode of WKRP. And interacts with almost every major character. He's yes. got like five of them he interacts with. So yeah, it's a great part. One of the dressing room doors opens, and Jennifer walks out wearing a strapless purple one-piece bathing suit. Well, the studio audience responds approvingly. <laughs> She calls Andy's name and asks if he's ready. No. You can hear, in the one word, you can hear how upset he is. She asks what's wrong, and Andy tells her to go away. Oh, come on, there's nothing to it. You're talking about my bathing suit, you're right. (laughs) Jennifer assures him hers is the same. Putting Lonnie Anderson in a swimsuit, not a surprising move for 1980. This episode was shot at the height of the swimsuit poster wars, or... As one blogger called it, the puberty pinup wars. <laughs> <laughs> Farrah Fawcett, the star of Charlie's Angels, fired the first salvo with her red swimsuit, look at that hair pose, in 1976. <laughs> it sold an incredible 20 million units of a poster. The late 70s saw a slew of scantily clad film and TV stars fighting for wall space in the bedrooms of teenage boys. Heather Thomas, Heather Locklear, Linda Carter, Cheryl Teagues, and several others all had entries in the race. Lonnie Anderson's first swimsuit poster was also a red one-piece from 1978. It had kind of the same look as Farrah's suit with the word Lonnie floated above her head. 1978 also saw the release of Lonnie's famous white bikini pose. Yes, and there's barely a bikini there. Barely a bikini, (laughs) true. Andy's dressing room door opens slowly, and you see his head come sticking out. He looks at Jennifer. His nose is covered with a splotch of white sunblock, (laughs) and he has a big frown on his face. He goes back in and closes the door for a bit, then opens it slowly as he tentatively walks out. He has a towel over his right shoulder, and he's holding a beach ball in front, below his waist. Jennifer is laughing and covering her mouth. You know, I love that Gary Sandy's such a good-looking guy, but he'll allow him to stick a big white slab of stuff yes. on his nose. <laughs> and and it, really, it really helps the scene. Oh, it <laughs> does. It does. And I, I love it that he's not, you know, not so hung up on his looks that he's going right. to say, oh, no, I'm not going to do anything like that. <laughs> so the photographer comes out of the other room, and he tells them they look Terrific! Now, Tarlick told me I was going to enjoy this, but boom! Oh yeah, he's a sleazeball. The <laughs> photographer asks Andy to help him with the backdrop. Andy's still clutching the beach ball in front of him, and he shakes his head very definitively, no. So Jennifer walks over to help move the backdrop. The backdrop is the cheesiest, cheapest-looking mural. We've got some volcanic-looking mountains in the back, a blue-gray sky, blue ocean water, a sandy beach, and two palm trees. Now, that all sounds really nice when we're describing it. It looks like it was painted by a third grader. They slide the backdrop over so it's in front of the camera. It covers the dressing room doors and Andy in the process. Yeah, the backdrop has no depth to no, it. It's just it's awful. Looks like something I would have. And the edge painted. of it, the edge of it is all eaten up and torn <laughs> yeah. up. It looks like they found it in an old storage room somewhere on the MTM lot, and it hadn't been used since some kids' show in the fifties. Look at that backdrop. They said it was no good. It's perfect. Jennifer calls Andy's name several times, wanting him to come out from behind the backdrop. After a couple of beats, Andy slowly comes around. I'm coming, Annette. (laughs) (laughs) The photographer is adjusting his camera, and then he gives some direction. Okay, now, uh, the two of you, give me some skin here. 
Flash the pods around, and I'll just click away. Make it look real sexy. Andy <laughs> quietly asks. Oh, with menace. Sexy. Sensing Andy isn't happy, the photographer asks them, okay, they can just wave. Now, Andy made that Annette reference. We're pretty sure he's talking about Annette Joanne Afunicello, who was an American actress and singer who began performing at the age of 12. Annette was born in 1942 and discovered by Walt Disney in 1955. She was the last Mouseketeer cast on the original Mickey Mouse Club, and she's one of the few cast members who was hand-selected by Walt. She quickly became the most popular Mouseketeer, receiving more than 6,000 fan letters a week. Her Mouseketeer popularity propelled Annette to both movie and recording studios. She had pop hits with singles like Odio Mio, First Name Initial, Tall Paul, and Pineapple Princess. Pineapple Princess, he calls me Pineapple Princess all day as he plays ukulele on the hill above the bay. Pineapple Princess, I love you, you're the sweetest girl I've seen. Someday As an actress, Annette made her mark on pop culture when she appeared in the Beach Party series of movies in the early 1960s. All right, get ready for this. Her first was Beach Party in 1963 alongside co-star Frankie Avalon. It was a big hit, so really fast, Muscle Beach Party and Bikini Beach both (laughs) followed in 1964. Her last would be How to Stuff a Wild Bikini in 1965. (laughs) Oh, aren't you glad Annette had all of this going on out there? And that was it we for need... that was it for her beach movies. We need to watch that one. I don't know. How to stuff a so wild, wild bikini. It's wild, man. Wild. Thirty-six. Unfortunately, Annette passed away in 2013 from complications due to multiple sclerosis. You know, there there were other beach <laughs> movies that were so bad she refused to be in them. They did a oh. couple more after she stopped being in them, but uh, they were so bad she refused. <laughs> <laughs> Jennifer and Andy were told to wave. So Jennifer holds up one hand and does a continuous finger wiggle wave. Andy waves with one hand while holding the beach ball with the other. He then switches hands to wave, and he points to imaginary people off in the distance. (laughs) He's got a crowd around him he's talking to. We see camera flashes as they continue to wave. The photographer gives some different direction. I want you to move around the beach and frolic. Give me a lot of frolic. Frolic? (laughs) He said frolic? Andy's had it. He steps behind the backdrop. I'm not going to (laughs) frolic. Photographer runs over to Andy, telling him they're beach shots. You do beach shots, you gotta frolic. He asks Jennifer, talk to Andy. Andy, I think really do owe them a certain amount of frolic. We owe them a certain (laughs) amount of frolic. Andy has a very pained expression on his face. He comes back out from behind the backdrop. He's not loving the frolic idea. Still holding the beach ball, he does a very tiny little jump. And the camera flashes. It does. It flashes while he's about (laughs) an inch off of the floor. Catches him in the air. (laughs) Well, Jennifer suggests that they throw the beach ball back and forth. Andy looks shocked and (laughs) that she would even suggest such a thing. This means he's got to move the ball. He's hiding behind it. (laughs) Andy and Jennifer turn to face each other and they begin tossing the ball back and forth. Guy's a regular Troy Donahue. (laughs) Well, actually, it's more like handing the ball back and forth. They're not that far apart. Angrily. Yes, Andy is angrily shoving the ball. (laughs) The camera flashes a couple of times. La-la-la, fun, 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 and thank you very much. Jennifer and Andy are both surprised. That's it? The photo session's over? I think the photographer was wanting to get to something else. I think so. Yeah. So he made a Troy Donahue reference about Andy. Troy Donahue is a tragic Hollywood tale. He was born Merle Johnson Jr. in 1936. Troy was an American film and television actor who even did a little bit of singing. 
He was discovered in the mid-50s, and he did a few small roles for Universal. His big break came when he was cast opposite Sandra Dee in Warner Brothers' A Summer Place in 1959. Now, is this the Sandra Dee they're referring to from the movie Grease? Yes, this is who they're singing about. Look she was famous at, at the time. Yeah, and Sandra Dee. An actual famous uh, actress at the okay. time. That's who they were making fun of. And really, Grease probably you know reignited her career a little bit. It got people talking about Sandra Dee. Yeah, I want to look her up, see what she looked like. Warner signed Donahue to a long-term contract. He started making guest appearances in Warner Westerns and TV shows. Now, because of his blonde hair, blue eyes, and sexy good looks, and he was really good looking. He was a good looking guy. Donahue was always cast in goody-goody roles. By 1968, Donahue's career was in decline. He wanted out of his Warner contract. Bad idea. Donahue's defection made Jack Warner mad. He blackballed Donahue all over Hollywood. He couldn't get work anywhere. Donahue was forced to declare bankruptcy. His drinking and drug use, which had been pretty bad when he was doing well, got worse as his life fell apart. He went from living in beautiful Hollywood homes to being homeless. He claims he lived one summer under a bush in Central Park after he'd moved to New York. And the lesson learned here, stay on Jack Warner's good, good side. side. Don't yes. get Jack <laughs> mad at you. In 1974, a friend he'd made at the New York Military Academy, Francis Ford Coppola, cast him in a small part in The Godfather Part Two. He played the fiancé of Connie Corleone. His character was named Merle Johnson, a nod to Donahue's real name. Donahue was paid $10,000 for the role for one week's work. Although it was kind of a harrowing life, there is some good news. Donahue sought help for his addictions in the early 80s. He credits Alcoholics Anonymous with giving him his life back. He got sober, and he continued to act into the 1990s, although he never really regained his earlier popularity. Troy Donahue died from a heart attack in 2001 at the age of 65. Okay, let's get back to the photographer's studio. Andy is ready to bolt when he thinks it's over, and the photographer asks them to sign a couple of release forms. What for? They both begin signing. They just want to get out of there. Oh, it's just routine stuff. Gives you permission to publication of any old pictures taken in this premises this day. Whoa. <laughs> what now? <laughs> This guy is one fast talker, oh, yeah. and some of what he was saying even just faded out to nothing. Well, Andy asks if they can get their clothes on as Jennifer goes back to her dressing room. Hey, come on. You loved it, didn't you? Looking the sleazy guy right in the eyes, Andy responds. I thought it stunk, and I despised it. He heads back to his dressing room. Once Andy's door is shut, the photographer grabs the camera, goes over to the side of Jennifer's dressing room, and pulls a curtain open to reveal a one-way mirror. Yes, I love the audience's reaction as the photographer starts clicking away. Flash the parts around, I'll just click away. Make it look real sexy. We move to the bullpen where Les is practicing his speech while, for some reason, holding his silver sow award. He begins laughing and talking to an imaginary audience. No, 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 please, please. Oh, oh, oh. Ladies and gentlemen, please, I must be allowed to continue. Uh, hog persons, please. And just to clarify, this speech has nothing to do with Les getting a silver sow. No, not at all. He's just decided he should be holding the silver sow <laughs> while giving this speech. He's very proud of that pig. He's just reminding everyone <laughs> that he won this thing that he's holding there. So Les is facing his office, and he doesn't see Herb come in. I also think in Les's mind, he is behind his walls, so nobody can see him. So Herb watches Les for a moment. Les isn't really practicing his speech so much as he's practicing how to handle the adoring crowd. He keeps making these crowd noises and waving his arm dramatically. Les stops when he catches sight of Herb, and Herb just rolls his eyes. <laughs> and oh, oh, it's time! Herb Darling, fashion alert. Herb is wearing a salmon-colored dress shirt with a yellow and green diagonally striped tie, dark maroon pants, and a white jacket 
with um like black diamonds of different sizes, all in little rows, and also his signature white shoes. And that one really, really was an alert because when he came through that door, it popped at it. It made me catch my breath. <laughs> I had to catch my breath when he came through that door. Well, I think you went whoa. Wow. <laughs> Andy walks into the bullpen, and Herb asks him how the photo shoot went. I hated it. I'm never doing anything like that again, ever, ever again in my whole life. Herb tells him it was Carlson's idea. Bailey comes into the bullpen and sees Andy. Well, hello. (laughs) I love the way she says, hello. (laughs) She walks over to Andy. He's just looking so miserable, and she eyes him up and down. Andy just stares straight ahead trying to ignore her. How's it going, big boy? (laughs) Sit down. We'll talk. How about a champagne cocktail? (laughs) Andy looks at Bailey, turns up his nose, and walks out of the bullpen. This has brought out a side of Bailey we haven't seen before. And she's having a blast with it. Oh my, is she being aggressive. (laughs) And something about a champagne cocktail. That is the weirdest little detail, but something bad happened in Bailey's past. I think she involving, had experience with that or something. Yeah, a champagne cocktail featured prominently in whatever happened. <laughs> so Herb walks over by Bailey. He senses an opening. This is not our usual <laughs> Bailey, and suddenly now she's on Herb's radar. So he walks over. <laughs> he's got his back to her. You can see him. He's getting the courage up. He straightens his tie, figuring out what he's going to do. He turns around. Now he's facing Bailey. You can see he raises his hand. He's about to speak. Uh-uh. <laughs> <laughs> Poor Herb. Timing on that was so perfect. He just can't get a break. No, and, and she shuts him down before he says a word and just walks out of the bullpen. Uh-uh. Now we're at the photographer's studio, and the door opens. We see Mr. Carlson walking in. Seeing no one, Carlson yells. Anybody home? Hello? A voice from a room at the back says he'll be out in a minute. Well, not seeing the red light over the door... Carlson goes to that door and he opens it because that's where the voice came from. I'll just wait right out here for you. <laughs> the audience moans and laughs because this is obviously the dark room and Carlson just ruined whatever film the photographer was developing. We got to talk for a minute about dark rooms and film developing. Talk about <laughs> buggy whips. Come back with us now, kids, to a time before digital photography. Our photographer is in what was called a dark room. At the time, film was the state of the art in photography. After film had been shot, it required chemical processing. Now, since film was highly light sensitive, the processing happened in a light tight booth called a dark room. Red spectrum light didn't cause a strong reaction on film, so dark rooms were usually lit with really low red lights. Any white light, like what art allowed to stream in, would damage the sensitive film. And it's a wonder we have any pictures at all from that era, isn't it? <laughs> Considering all the work we had to do to yeah. get to a picture. And they actually had high school classes you could take. Oh, yeah. We had a dark room in our high yes, school. Yes, we did, too. The door opens and the photographer comes out holding a long strip of negatives. You know what this was? No. Well, now nobody else will either. (laughs) Carlson apologizes. The photographer wads up the negatives and puts them in the trash. He asks what he can do for Carlson. Carlson tells him he is there to pick up the pictures for the Surf's Up in Cincinnati poster. The photographer heads over to a drawer and pulls out a manila folder. Tell me something. You you work for that same Looney Tune tar like this? (laughs) (laughs) Art Art decides not to broach the subject He looks at the photographer and just says Yeah (laughs) Same looney tune The photographer is Snickers He opens the manila folder and peeks inside Whoops, not these No siree Wait a minute, wait a minute, I got yours here Just uh, let me look for I bet you they're in the dryer Just give me a minute 
Now, come on. Uh, you cannot look in an envelope and have that reaction, then lay it on right. the desk and leave. He goes back into the dark room. He he put it on the desk. And he was shaking his hand yes. like it was burned. How hot those, it is. Those pictures were so hot. Well, Carlson looks around, and then he looks at the manila folder. His curiosity gets the better of him. And I love it. He pulls out an ink <laughs> pen from his pocket. He doesn't want to leave any fingerprints. <laughs> he using the pen, he opens the folder and peeks inside. Seeing what it is, he picks up the folder and is looking inside when the photographer comes out of the dark room. Hey, 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 give me those. Hey, what's the matter with you? Carlson can hardly speak. Well, that that's my my receptionist, my secretary. That, that's my Jennifer. That's his Jennifer. Yeah, and the photographer really doesn't care. So what? He yeah. gives Art his pictures and tells him he'll bill him. Art points to the manila folder with Jennifer's pictures in him and asks the photographer where he got those. He says she posed for them. No, she didn't. She, she, she wouldn't do that. Well, then uh, it's her word against mine. And besides, pictures don't lie. Now, look, uh, I'm very busy. Art asks what he plans to do with the pictures. Well, the photographer tells Art he's going to sell them. Carlson angrily slams his pictures down on the desk. You're going to sell those pictures to some cheap, girly magazine? No, I'm going to sell them to the Catholic Church. <laughs> Not only sleazy, but sarcastic, our photographer. Putting his finger in the photographer's face, Art tells him if he sells those pictures, he's going to have his lawyer all over him. Gentlemen, this is my lawyer, El Garnice. Gentlemen? <laughs> Deal. You don't say anything, you don't do anything. He is mad. Yeah. I've never seen Carlson this mad. Well, maybe a couple of times. But, you know, you don't mess with his Jennifer. It's like a daughter to him. The photographer, he's not phased at all. I don't think so. You see, I got the ladies' release form right here. Look, pal, I've been doing this for years. I know all the ins and outs, what's legal, what's not legal. I'm no amateur. I've been waiting for the big one. This little lady is it. It's like those Marilyn Monroe pictures. Playboy built an empire on those. Those photographs are like gold. Carlson angrily grabs the photographer by his shirt, and he gets right in his face. Carlson is gritting his teeth and practically growls. I'm the one responsible for her coming here in the first place. The photographer takes hold of Carlson's hands and removes them from his shirt. Come on. This, this isn't right. The photographer is smiling as he looks at Carlson. What can you do? Huh? You can't do nothing. <clears throat> Go home. Defeated, Carlson grabs his pictures and he leaves. The photographer is so good at being so sleazy. You just want to smack him. Yes, and Carlson does want to smack him and he starts out so angry. But then you see he, he gives up and he's like, oh, come on. He realizes he, he to, doesn't have anywhere to go. He tries to reason with him. Doesn't work. The oh so pleasant Mr. Gonzer mentioned those Marilyn Monroe pictures. He's talking about the nude pictures of Marilyn Monroe that were published in that very first December 1953 issue of Playboy. Although she was the highlight of that first issue, Marilyn never posed for Playboy, and she never met Hugh Hefner her entire life. She posed for those pictures in 1949 for a nude calendar. She got paid 50 bucks, which at the time she needed desperately to pay the bills. She signed the release Mona Monroe to hide her identity. The photographer sold the pictures to the calendar company for $900. So that's back in 1949. Woo. Oh, yeah, that's a lot of money. So fast forward four years, Marilyn is now a superstar. She's just starred in back-to-back-to-back -back -back hits, Niagara, Gentlemen Prefer Blondes, and How to Marry a Millionaire. Hefner found the photographer who had taken those 1949 photos and offered him $500 for the rights. Those photos became the cover and the centerfold for his first issue. It sold over 50,000 copies, and it launched Hefner's Playboy Empire, Marilyn was never paid more than the original 50 she got for the calendar. In an interview, she said she had to buy a copy of the magazine just to see herself. So she only got 
how much money? She got 50 bucks total 50 for bucks. the photo shoot. Wow. And it was, it was for a friend of hers who was a, a photographer. He said, I got this work. I can give you work. If you'll pose for this, I'll pay you 50 bucks. He knew she really needed money. I think he was just getting Marilyn Monroe nude. But he got $900. He got $900, but he also had the camera and the processing and all that stuff. And he was a professional photographer uh, out selling nude pics. I've been waiting for the big one. This little lady is it. Those photographs are like gold. So in the lobby now, we find Jennifer at her her desk reading a book and Mr. Carlson is trying to sneak through. Jennifer says hello. Nobody can get past Jennifer. No. Hello, Mr. Carlson. And with a big smile on her face. Did you see the pictures? Yes. <laughs> Are they good? Yes. <laughs> you like them then? Yeah, yes. Well, that's good. In a shaky voice, Mr. Carlson asks. Is Herb here? Jennifer says, yeah, he's in the bullpen playing cards with the others. Oh, good. <clears throat> and he heads back to the bullpen. Which that response to playing cards was right. kind of funny. Oh, good. It kind of made Jennifer look up a little bit. So Johnny, Andy, Herb, and Venus are all gathered around the DJ desk and Herb's desk playing cards when Art enters the bullpen. Johnny sees Carlson coming and sounds the alarm. Well, that ends our little five-minute card break, boys. Back to work. Oh, hi, Steve. Hi. <laughs> <laughs> they scramble, gathering up the cards. Andy shoves a few into a coffee cup. Venus decides he wants to look busy. He picks up the phone and pretends to be talking on it. Herb, thinking fast, fans out some cards, turns around and faces Art and asks him... Take a card, big I think they rehearsed this. So, you know, they were ready in case <laughs> Carlson showed up. How if they got caught? Art... Not interested. Herb, although it's been said many times, many ways, you're fired. And I'm not kidding. You're gone. Travis tries to ask Mr. Carlson, now wait a minute, what's going on? Carlson is so angry, he lets Travis have it as well. You, Travis, you you, you were there. You were supposed to be her escort. But this photographer of Herb's choosing somehow got nude pictures of our Jennifer. Herb, Johnny, and Venus are very interested. Let's see them. Where are they? <laughs> Andy is just sitting there in shock. He can't believe it. Carlson tells them, yep, he saw the photos. Well, what is he going to do with them? Sell them to some girly magazine or something? No, he's going to sell them to the Catholic Church. <laughs> Rise up, Venus. Rise up, Venus. <laughs> Art's borrowing his sarcasm. Art is very angry and upset. He admits to the guys he feels guilty about the injustice that's been done to Jennifer. And I'm the one that's going to have to tell her because it was my idea. I mean, were it not for me, this would not have happened. Sounds to me like I'm not fired. <laughs> Herb wriggles out from under the firing. Art tells Herb he can't really blame him. He wants to, but he can't. Johnny is still thinking about Jennifer in the nude. How nude is she? <laughs> Well, this, uh, <laughs> nude, nude. <laughs> Andy is addled. I don't get this. No, we were together. Carlson explains that the pictures look as if they were taken when she was changing. Isn't that against the law? Carlson tells them that releases were signed, and his attorney said they could fight it, but the pictures would probably get published anyway. Andy stands up. He's very irritated. He's worried about what this will do to Jennifer when she finds out. Th this is going to kill her. Johnny's brain is working. He's a couple of steps ahead. He <laughs> asks if the negatives were in the envelope with the photos. Art says they were. Johnny asks Art if he knows where that envelope is. Yes, I think it's in his desk. Johnny has a plan. You can tell. He decides to run it past the others. Well, I'm going to suggest something ridiculous here uh, as usual it's one of my deeply bent ideas and i suggest it uh, just so that we can dismiss it quickly and move on to sounder ground why don't we watergate it what? venus tells him he's not breaking and entering is a felony and he says they need to think of something else however art is considering it Herb looks at Carlson like he's crazy. Well, I, I, I don't know exactly what else to do about it. Look, I'm certainly not going to let some sleazy photographer ruin the life and the reputation of a good friend of mine just because she did me a favor. He is desperate. Watergating it was a phrase that was used, and that's a reference to the 1972 burglary and wiretapping of the Democratic National Committee headquarters located at the Watergate Hotel complex in Washington. 
It wasn't the first time they'd done it, but in June of 1972, five burglars were caught inside the DNC offices with wiretapping gear, 40 rolls of unexposed film, and a couple of 35-millimeter cameras. They also had military-grade pin-sized tear gas guns. These guys meant they were business. serious. Yeah. They had some backing. Eventually, these guys were found to have ties that led all the way back to the President of the United States. The investigation and cover-up of this one event would lead to Nixon's almost certain impeachment and eventual resignation in 1974. Herb tells Art he's with him. Andy reminds him if they get caught, they could go to jail. Yeah, that's the part of the plan that I don't like. <laughs> <laughs> That's what Johnny's not down with yeah. on that. <laughs> Can we change that part yeah. of the plan? Art tells them all he realizes there's some risk and possible prosecution. <laughs> He's willing to take that risk yes. for Jennifer. Any of you aren't willing to take the risk, then I say, you just walk right now. I'm not going to say anything to you. We're not going to think uh, any the worse. You can see Herb struggling with the decision. <laughs> Herb finally says, excuse me. <laughs> and he just puts his jacket over his arm and walks out of the bullpen. What happened to, I'm with you, big guy? I'm with you, big guy. Seconds ago, <laughs> I'm with you, and now he's gone. Art looks at Johnny. Fever? Now what? Now we're to my favorite scene of this whole hour-long episode. It takes place in the photographer's studio, and it is so hilarious. I think the directing is what really makes this scene so funny. The use of the flashlight, one flashlight, and the studio being dark, the choreography, all of it just comes together and makes it a great scene. We never get to see anybody's face, yet we get just everybody's attitude yes. from their silhouette. So we are in the photographer's studio. It's dark. It's night. Everything's locked up. We see a flashlight shining through that glass on the door that had Gonzer's name on it. We also see the dark silhouettes of four people through the glass. Now, they start out very gently. We hear sounds of clicks as the lock is being tampered with, but nothing happens. There are more clicks, several, one after another, nothing. Then they start getting a little more aggressive. There's loud jiggling on the door, which turns into shaking the door and still nothing. There's a moment of silence after all of this shaking, and then we hear glass shattering and see pieces of the window fall to the floor. A hand reaches through the broken glass to turn the doorknob. They still can't open the door. It won't budge. They're jiggling, shaking. The silhouettes move back. We hear a voice whisper, one, two, three, which is followed by a very loud crash as the door is kicked in. The door flies off its hinges and onto the floor. They're in. There's something about them moving back before they kick the door that reminds me of the Blue Man Group and how they attack yeah, problems. That... They had a feel there of Blue Men. We see the four shapes walk into the studio. They're crunching on glass <laughs> and wood from the newly destroyed door. Someone, after all that noise, someone is loudly shushing them. <laughs> We hear Venus. He is talking about how they got in in like a minute and a half, but they didn't get any points for neatness. Johnny has the flashlight, and when, when they're walking in, you see him shine it on his watch to check the time. I wonder if he's like timing how long they have before I don't know. It's like, like a sting. They always have the times. Yeah, you've got so many minutes to do this. And In the middle of this conversation, Johnny walks over to the group with a flashlight, shining it in their eyes. Listen, kid, we're all scared. Any man who says he's not is a liar. Venus is on edge. <laughs> he grabs Johnny by the throat. Are you nuts? Don't get at a time like this. Mr. Carlson rushes over to get between them. We're acting like a bunch of Republicans. Right. <laughs> Carlson asks Sandy, what's wrong with that? He's a Republican. You're a Republican. I didn't know that. <laughs> Me neither. 
I thought you guys knew. No. Now, all of a sudden, they seem to have forgotten <laughs> what they're there for, and they're discussing politics. And Venus is in no mood for goofing around, <laughs> and Johnny is in a goofy mood. So Johnny is making great use of the flashlight prop. He shines it in each of their faces. He goes off on this rant in this movie voice of his. Maybe he is a Republican. <coughs> Maybe he's a black man. Maybe he's from the Southwest. But we're all Americans and we came here to do a job, okay? So again, Venus is going after Johnny. He's whisper yelling for him to stop goofing around. Art and Andy have to pull Venus off Johnny. Andy says they need to just get the photos and get out of here. Carlson goes to the desk and opens the drawer where he thinks he saw the photos. Carlson pulls out several folders, tossing them on the desk for all of them to go through. Do you have another flashlight? No. Johnny suggests that they turn on the overhead light. Are you crazy? Yeah, I'm here, aren't I? (laughs) (laughs) Venus lunges at Johnny again. Carlson and Andy have to break them apart, and now they begin looking through the folders. Lighting over the one flashlight that they brought between four of them, one flashlight. They're seeing pictures of things like toothpaste, a woman smiling with a cigarette, portraits of Labrador retrievers. Here's a picture of a nude lady. Oh, it's not Jennifer. They all want to see the picture of the nude lady, (laughs) and they start arguing over the flashlight. Uh, Can I see that? Me too. I just want to see it. For just I told you no. I want to see it. Well, it's not Jordan. Come on, come on. I can't have men like this under my command. Come on. Oh, we hear sirens approaching. The arguing stops. They all stand stock still for a moment. Then they all run out the door. And this is so funny. They're all stuck together. They're in a group. Like remember the Scooby Doo cartoons, yes. the Scooby Doo gang, and all the feet are moving, but the bodies are yes. not. They're just moving across there. <laughs> That's what they did. So this is about the halfway point of the episode as our intrepid burglars attempt to escape. Like the syndicated versions of the show, we're going to take a break here and call this the end of our episode, which means next week we'll be back with... Filthy Pictures Part 2. When the break-in idea doesn't retrieve the pictures... The rest of the gang gets in on saving Jennifer's reputation. Don't miss the hilarious conclusion to Filthy Pictures next time on the WKRP cast. And that's going to do it for this episode of the WKRP cast. If you'd like to watch along with us, check our show notes. Find us on social media. You can follow our Facebook page at WKRP cast. And for even more WKRP fun, become a patron on Patreon. Go to patreon.com slash WKRPcast. Got a question, comment, or correction? Let us know about it. Write us, WKRPcast at gmail.com. And remember to please rate and review us on Apple Podcasts. Thanks for listening. Bye. May the good news be yours. The WKRP cast is not endorsed by MTM Enterprises, Shout Factory, or CBS. This podcast is intended for entertainment and informational purposes only. WKRP in Cincinnati, the WKRP logo, and all names, pictures, and audio of WKRP in Cincinnati characters are registered trademarks of MTM, CBS, Shout Factory, or their respective copyright holders. Almost forgot, fellow babies. Booger!